As you've probably figured out by now, I'm not Pastor John, and uh, he is, you know what, be praying for him. He is not, he is not feeling well. He called me yesterday morning, uh, coughing and scratchy over the phone, and said, uh, he said, I'll give you a call later this evening and let you know how I'm feeling. Uh, and uh, so he called me last night and he said, hey, so can, can you preach? So uh, here I am. And, uh, but be praying for John. He's just, he's not feeling well, and uh, preachers like to have their voice. <laughs> so uh, keep him in your prayers. Uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers for um, uh, for Corinne. Uh, Corinne had uh, a hysterectomy this week on on Thursday, uh, and she is doing very very well. She is feeling great. She's had a very similar procedure done uh, many times before, and this one has gone as smooth and as well better than any of them. So she is she is definitely feeling very very good. Uh, the problem now is actually keeping her down. <laughs> uh, uh, we, she was trying to do laundry as we were leaving. She was going to come this morning, but uh, we were trying to convince her of otherwise. And uh, I say we because uh, my mother-in-law is here with us for two weeks. <laughs> so as you pray for Corinne, pray for me. And uh, no, that's a joke. That was a joke. I love mom. She is she is the best, and I am very very thankful. My dad's coming in this later on this week too, and uh, so it is it is a, a huge blessing to to have them here with us. And please don't let these folks leave without mobbing them. The Stearns are here with us this morning. All right, so you guys might have some place to be, but it might take a while before you get there. All right, and that's what you get for leaving us. So. Very, very good to see you guys, all right? And uh, so turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73 this morning. Uh, Psalm 73. Uh, I, I just, I got to tell you, this text has been, has been so fantastic to me. I, I have just absolutely, just absolutely loved it. And uh, um, I'm not going to give us tons of background on it, but just, just a little bit here. Um, uh, it, is, it is so rich for us, just in what we read and just we what we see. Uh, it's entitled as a psalm of Asaph. Uh, Asaph was a Levite. He was a, he was a worship leader, if you want to say, during, during David's reign. Uh, David saw him as incredibly gifted in, in writing music and writing psalms um, to help Israel worship. Uh, David was musical himself, right, and uh, played instruments himself, so he... I think he had a good eye. I think he had a good ear on somebody that was gifted and talented that way. Uh, he appointed Asaph to actually lead the worship when, when the Ark of the Covenant was coming to Jerusalem. So a- Asaph was a very, a very gifted individual. Uh, Asaph wrote a few psalms, um, but there are a few psalms that are attributed to him that actually had to be written after he passed away. And uh, I think Asaph got, I think he got a bit of a following. I think he actually created a bit of a, a heritage in his family for writing music and worshiping God. So there's a few psalms that are attributed to Asaph that he, he actually didn't write, but were probably, probably written by his family. Um, uh, I am really, really thankful for Psalm 73. One, one because of this, you, you and I get to dive into his heart and into his mind, I mean literally into his, in, into his soul, and just get a real good look at what he was thinking, what he was going through, 
um, during, during this scenario, what you and I get to see is uh, some of the thoughts that you and I hope nobody ever knows about us is actually what we're looking at. And God gives us just a great, great picture here into, uh, into his life and how he responds to it and actually how he corrects his thinking and, and, and goes forward from there. Um, now, here's something unique about, about Psalm 73. Uh, most translations, uh, they, they vary in a number of verses here. Um, uh, it's, it's a little challenging. Of course, we want to focus on the Hebrew and what, what specifically the Hebrew says, but uh, sometimes there's some Hebrew words that even have some, some multiple meanings. Like, for example, the, the Hebrew word im, just spelled I-M, can mean a number of different things. It can mean in. Uh, it can actually mean on. Uh, sometimes it's even used uh, many different times as with. Uh, sometimes it's translated the word before. You know, kind of like Chuck, you know, you, we and I are with each other. Or you could say you, we're before each other. So it's, the, the psalm is really, really unique. So when you look at our different translations, King James, New King James, New American Standard, there's multiple verses that appear to say something different. So this, this morning, and just as I've studied it out, the English Standard Version, in, in my opinion, is the closest when, it, when we're looking at an interpretation. And, uh, and, and even there's a particular sentence in the ESV I really don't, I don't think is the best. I'll point that out as we get there. Uh, but I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this, uh, this morning. And, uh, and here's what I want to do. I want to read the whole psalm, okay? We're, we're talking 28 verses, I believe, okay? This is, this is long. Can, can you stick with me this morning, okay, as, as we read this? And Donna just ordered me that we all need to stand, all right, for the reading of the Word of God, so we all know who's in charge, all right? So let's everybody, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of Psalm 73. I, I, I just want to encourage you to do your best to really stick with me as we're reading this. I guarantee you, you will be blessed if we can focus for these verses. Psalm 73, and here's what it says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains in death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as, as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say... How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Then I discern therein. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You could be seated. Uh, I, 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 just, I just love <laughs> reading this psalm and getting a look in, into his heart and the honesty that you see as he, as he writes this. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, all the way through this psalm. In verse 1, look again, says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure and pure in heart. Verse 1, if you want to write down a little outline, I would say is his belief. It's the psalmist's belief. And this, this is the overall principle of, of the psalm. This is, this is the sentence that you and I remember, <laughs> that we don't forget, you know, when, when all of our thoughts tend to betray us. Here is the truth that, that does not change. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I love it when preachers do this, or when I'm listening to somebody on the radio or a seminar. I love it when they tell you what the whole message is about right at the beginning. Remember this one little sentence. Well, that's what Asaph does here. Truly, God is good to Israel. And you can even, you can even put your own name in there as we talk about some specific application. Um, but this is what Asaph, in essence, is confessing. <laughs> this is what I was having trouble with. <laughs> this is what I was having trouble with believing in, in my own heart and mind. And... Uh, uh, in fact, folks, I think all of us can read verse 1. Say, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Yes, God is, God is so good. And, and, and all of us would, would, would jump with a hearty amen and say, absolutely, God, God is so good. But if I, can, if I can just encourage you this morning to, to just take down our walls, okay, for a few minutes, and in essence, just like he does, can we just take a, a real good, honest look at our own hearts this morning? Pardon me here while I fiddle with this mic. And, and just consider our own hearts and, and, and some of the challenges that, that, that we face. I think all of us can walk away a little bit wiser. Verses 2 and 3, I think, is his, it's his recognition. Uh, I, I actually thought about calling verses 2 and 3 his, his confession but I think a little bit later in the psalm, we actually see a confession from him. And so I, I just mentioned verses 2 and 3 as being his, his recognition. In verse 3, he cuts right to the chase. It's very, very simple. He says this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
Um, does, that, does that ever boggle your mind sometimes? That, does that ever get under your skin a little bit when, when you see uh, perhaps a, a business or a businessman that is so selfish and so greedy has just got to get absolutely everything that he can or, uh, or, or perhaps somebody that tends to be very, very reckless in their life and you hear of them inheriting $100,000 or something like does that. Does that bother you a little bit? Or, or people's perspective of the American dream is to try to sue somebody and make their fortune that way. Uh, and I, I think what the psalmist is saying, I, was, I, I am bothered by that. Uh, just to give you one quick testimony here, a young man named Scott, 17 years old, went to a party in New Jersey in 2011. While he was there, he was offered Zantax that was stolen from a pharmacy. He overdosed and uh, slipped into a coma. He came out of it, but he suffered some permanent nerve damage. Uh, the party host, who was another team, parents were out of town. Another team decides to throw a party. Uh, the out-of-town parents, Zantax, and the pharmacy were all blamed for the teen's own decision. Well, it turned out that teen won $4.1 million dollars in a lawsuit does does that does that bother you a little bit just you know kind (laughs) of this doesn't feel fair it doesn't feel right and and you and i you and i can probably stop and think to ourselves man if i had i mean if i had that kind of money man we could do so much good i could and i could put i could put missionaries on the field right now the people that are working so hard to raise support i could put 10 missionaries on the field right now and not even miss a beat and we can think of all the things that we can do that we can do with those kind of funds. And, and, and the psalmist is, in essence, is saying, I am bothered by this. In fact, he even says, I'm, 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 I'm envious, I'm jealous. <laughs> I don't like the way the wicked get to live, and I don't. And we're, we're going to look at that in, in, in just a second. Uh, but verses, verse 2, when he says, But as for me, my feet had almost, sli- almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, I, I want you to know, I don't think he's talking figuratively here. Uh, most of the time when in the Old Testament, uh, and, and especially in the Psalms, when you're talking about a person's steps or their way or, uh, or how they are walking, it's talking, about their, it's talking about their actions, what they actually do uh, with, with their hands. What, what he's saying, I am so envious, I just... I don't, he, he's saying, I wish I could live like they do. <laughs> I wish I could be wicked like they do sometimes. And we even get to verses 4 through 12. And now let's take a look at these. And some of these things in verses 4 through 12 that we're going to look at, that he mentions, they're things that are true. They're things that are, are basically true about those that don't know Christ and don't have any desire to, to follow Christ. And some of these things, I hope you, I hope you see this, are things that he, he feels like is true. Have you, ever, have you ever played that game? Have you ever been through that battle mentally between things that feel like they're true and things that actually are true? Well, that's exactly what he's going through and what we're getting to see right now. Verse 4, he says this, They have no pains until death. Uh, and the psalmist actually has no, has no way of knowing this. He just gets this impression that, man, their life is perfect. They don't have any pains. They don't have any trouble. But you know what? That's not true, is it? All of us have difficulties. All of us have pains. 
look at uh, look at verse five, and it says this: They're not in trouble as others are. And he gets to verse six and says this: Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as as like a garment. And this is where the psalmist is a little jealous because the, the, the wicked don't care about those things. The, the wicked don't care about whether they're being prideful or arrogant or not. In fact, they, they wear it like a necklace. I, I'm proud. I don't really care if you like it or not. I'm going I'm to get what I can, whether you like it or whether it's fair or not. In verses 8 and 9, it's not just their actions. It's, it's what they're saying. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Uh, the psalmist is, is saying, they, they say whatever they want. They don't, they don't care about honoring God with their lips. They don't care about trying to be careful with, with what we say. They, they say whatever they want. Uh, and verse 10, verse 10 says this. And, and this, is, this is what's a little bit interesting about verse 10. Therefore, his people... Turn back to them. When verse, when verse 10 says, therefore his people turn back to them, I think he's talking about people that do want to honor God, people that do want to live a righteous life. In the ESV, the, the second part of verse 10 says this, and find no fault in them. I, I don't think that's really accurate. A number of your translations say something along these lines. And they, referring to the wicked, they drink up waters in abundance, meaning they, there's a resource that they, that they take and so when you look at verse 10 and he says, his people turn back to them, to the wicked, and they drink up all the waters in abundance. And the whole concept in verse 10 is this, is, is they take whatever they want. They're not concerned about others. They're not concerned about leaving some for somebody else. If the psalmist were to go, for, to, go to a well to find water for his family and see that there's very little left, the psalmist would be thinking, well, I... I want to try to leave some for somebody else. You know, the wicked don't do that. <laughs> they clean the well out, and they don't care if anybody else gets anything. <laughs> That's how they operate. That's how they live. Verse 11 says this. And they say, how can God know? Is there, is there, is there knowledge in the Most High? And often I think to myself, you know what? That is how they operate. They're, they're not concerned about any accountability before God. They're not concerned about what God hears and God doesn't hear. They just, they live. They do whatever they want. They think they prosper in any way they want. In verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, this is what the psalmist says. This is really, really good. Uh, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Um, He says, always at ease. And that's often what you and I do. We tend to use uh, all-encompassing words when we feel like something is unfair. You ever heard this conversation in your house? Uh, it, every time we get pizza, my brother always gets more than I do, and we never order what I want, okay? And that, that's how the psalmist is feeling. He's just saying, always, they're always at ease. Everything is perfect for them, and everything is difficult for me. And he's just, he's just sharing his heart. He's sharing his feelings. He's sharing what he's... What he's seeing out there, that's, that's his, his observation. Now look at verses 13 through 16, and this is, this is his dilemma, if you want to say, his dilemma. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. And basically he's saying, it, it, you know what, it doesn't benefit me at all. 
But, but is that really true? <laughs> is, is, is there a benefit to walking with God? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Now, maybe it doesn't benefit us financially like the wicked, okay, which in essence is what he is saying. But does it benefit us? Yeah, absolutely, by all means. And verse 15 is, is really interesting. Verse 15, he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Here's really interesting, something about Asaph, whether he is writing this as a song um, or he is, actually has some kind of teaching role to the next generation where he's actually speaking to, uh, to young people. Here's the frustrating dilemma that he has. He's saying, I've got to teach people. I've got to express something either in my song or even in how I teach. And it's got to be the truth. And almost what he's saying, he's saying, if I speak thus, meaning this, if he were to say something like this, for example, if I were to speak, if I were to say, you reap what you sow, which in essence is, is the truth, all right? If I, were to, if I were to talk about you reap what you sow, I feel like I would have betrayed the next generation because they, they can look at the people that are wicked just like I can, and they prosper. <laughs> and they have no interest in honoring God, and it doesn't look like you, they reap what they sow. And you get to verse 16, and he says, and when I thought how to understand this, it, it seemed wearisome to me. It was a wearisome task. And if I could pause right here just, just for a little bit as, as we're looking at this psalm, Folks, the ultimate problem that the psalmist has is this. It's where he places his value. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what he says is really the most important thing to him. And uh, the things that we place above in intimacy with God, the things that we place above making God our refuge and the pleasure of just being able to walk with him, and I got to ask you this morning, what, what are the things that are most important to you and I? What, what are the things that every once in a while we value as more important than just resting with our Savior? Did you know that all of us have something? <laughs> all of us do. There's things that get in the way <laughs> of our relationship with God and enjoying the peace that we have in Him. And when the psalmist is saying in verse 15 that I, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, he's saying, I, it's almost like he's saying, I know the right thing to say. I know, I know what I need to say to these young people, but I almost don't believe it in my own heart when I, when I take a look at the wicked, when I take, at the, take a look at the way other people view things and the way other people operate in life. And that's when he says at the end of verse 16, it just, it just seemed like a wearisome task. And, and, and here's the turn. This is so good. I love verse 17. <laughs> Just the first line. Until, <laughs> until I went into the sanctuary of God. Isn't that great? <laughs> and this, this morning, just picture with me, if you will. Again, Asaph is a Levite, okay? He's, he's around the temple of God. Let's imagine that we're, we're standing before the temple of God right here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm having trouble with this. Can you guys stick with me here? Yeah, you're okay? Okay, good. Thanks. Here we are, temple of God. All right, Asaph is often uh, uh, around the temple of God, and he knows, he knows just right 
I mean, just right over there, almost a stone's throw away, right there in the back of the temple, is the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, the smoke, the Ark of the Covenant that's just hovering right above, in between the cherubim, the same smoke, the same fire that brought them out of Egypt hundreds of years earlier. God is just, he's right over there. And so when he comes to the temple of God, he knows this is a holy, holy place. And he begins to get his perspective changed a little bit. Do you, do you understand that? Have you ever pictured yourself almost like in, the, in Isaiah chapter 6 scenario where you're praying before God and you just, you just picture God on this massive, massive throne and, uh, and the doors are, of the temple are shaken and the train of his robe fills the temple and there's smoke and there's angels and, and here you and I are, this, this tiny little speck <laughs> at the base of his throne being able to present our request to God. Does that change the way you pray? <laughs> Does that change the way you, you think about God? Does that change your perspective a little bit? Well, it, it does the psalmist. And that's what he's saying here. All of this was perplexing to me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Uh, and folks, just a really, really important text for you and I to consider Philippians 4.8 says this. It says, finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, and then there's a whole list of things, things that are just, pure, lovely, uh, of good report, any, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, it says this, meditate on these things. Think about these things. And the very first thing in that list is this, whatever things are true, that's what you think about. That's what you meditate on. And that's what the psalmist is starting to do in verse 17. He's beginning to separate the things that feels that are true and things that are actually true. In verse 18, he says, you know what, truly, you, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. That's, that's how quickly it happens. Do you get this picture that he's painting a little bit? You ever been there where you've had a nightmare or you woke up and it's just... <gasps> it, that's how quick it happens. <laughs> and whether those that have no interest in honoring God reap what they sow here on earth or perhaps when they actually see God face to face... It is always a true principle. You reap. <laughs> you reap what you sow. And sometimes it doesn't feel true. That's what the psalmist is saying. And now he's got a much truer perspective <laughs> of, of what is taking place. And now, when you look at verses 21 and 22, I, I think you see the psalmist's confession, if you want to say Verses 21 and 22, this is what he says. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I, I, was, I was brutish, I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Uh, and verse, verse 21 is, is translated, it is so different in so, many, in so many different translations. But the concept, I think, often is, is there in just about often. He's saying, when I was in, in, 
pricked in my heart or I was embittered in my heart or when I was, I was vexed in, in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, in my inner spirit. You know, basically, he's just, he's just saying this. I, I felt the conviction of God on my heart and my, the spiritual weight that you feel on your shoulders when you know that you've been thinking wrongly about God. And he knows he's fallen short. That's what he's confessing. And uh, just before we get to verse 22, uh, some of you know that I, I youth pastored back in Indiana for, for a few years. That's where I'm from. And uh, great, great days. Uh, but it was very much a farming community there. And uh, a lot of the kids in my youth group, they did something called 4-H. And uh, it's where they would raise animals, and whether it was rabbits, chickens, cows, whatever the case may be. And one of the days, I went over to one of the teens' house, and I, I just wanted to hang out with him and visit with him for a little bit. And he had his cow out there that he was getting ready for 4-H to show before too long. And with the animals, you gotta, you know, you've got to lead them around. You've got to get them to turn when the judge wants them to turn, and everything has to be right. And this, <laughs> this, this particular cow was not behaving in any way, shape, or form. And I, you've probably seen a cow out in a field, but when you get close to one of those things... I mean, if you got stepped on, I guarantee you, you would never forget it. They are huge. They are absolutely huge. And he's trying to get this thing to move. He's got a little, little harness around him. He is pulling. He cannot budge. He cannot budge this cow. And then here's what he does. He takes his fist and he punches it in the head, <laughs> okay? Right, right here. Now, I don't know if you know, this bone, this part of the skull of a cow, it is thick. I mean, it is, it is incredibly thick. And the cow won't move. He punches it a couple of times to try to get this thing to move, and it won't go anywhere. And this is the truth, all right? I, I kid you not. This is exactly what happened. He takes a two-by-four and cracks it right over the head, <laughs> okay? That's what he does, and you think, oh my goodness, that's terrible. Here's what the cow did. The cow went, and then just turned and walked and did what it was supposed to do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm like this, like, holy cow, is this how you... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, holy cow. And I I almost don't know what to think, but I guess that's how you get a cow to move. You break a board over its head. I don't think the thing noticed anything at all, hardly. And and now, do do we understand verse 22? I was brutish and, and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Folks, you and I... You and I act just like that before God at times. A brutish beast that just, that just doesn't get how magnificent and fantastic and the pleasure that you and I have in making God our refuge. We fuss, we concern about so many different things. And the psalmist is finally coming to this place, to verses 21 and 22. And I, 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 can't, I can't help but remember a particular song by, by Rich, Mull, Rich Mullins. The song is called Hold Me Jesus, and the grammar isn't the best, but, but here's what he says. He says, surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. And I beat my head against so many walls falling down, I'm falling on my knees. That's exactly where the psalmist is at this point. And uh, I I hope we understand that before you and I get to the the pleasure of verses 23 through 28, there has always got to be a verses 21 and 22. 
before you and I get the joy and the pleasure of just resting in who God is. There's got to be a submission and a humility and an honesty before God of often who we are in our thinking. And then verse 23 says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. And I, I hope you understand the significance of, of, of nevertheless. He's basically saying, even when I'm falling short, even when I'm, I'm not walking in faith like I, like I need to, you hold me. You hold my right hand. And, 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 and folks, I am, I am all for us being active in our relationship with Christ and pursuing him through prayer and through his word and, and, and us taking action to keep our relationship with Christ fresh. But I love what the psalmist says here. Who is holding who, really? Who's holding on tight to who? It says, you hold my right hand. And in his weakness, that's what he's saying. You know what? You never let go of me. <laughs> even in my, even in my un, unfaithfulness. Second Timothy 2, verses 11 through, uh, 11 through 13 is a quick saying that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. This is so good. Paul says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? And, and that's when the psalmist finally is, basically, I think he's thinking when he writes verse 25, when he says, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire but you. Do you see how his value changed? Do you see what he elevates now as the most important thing in the world to him? You know what? Forget, forget the money. You know, forget how the, the wicked prosper. In fact, let me just even set down the battle I'm having of how I, I teach this next generation or what I actually write in this psalm. Let me just stop everything at the moment. Let me just rest in our relationship with who God is. And, and, and folks, I think far too often there are things that get in the way of you and I making God our, our refuge. And that's, that's exactly what you see in this last verse. But for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord my God, my refuge. And in essence, he's saying, why, why can I take refuge? Why can I enjoy the pleasure and the presence of God? You know what? It's back to verse 1. It's the overall idea. God is He's good <laughs> all the time, no matter what. And that's what we often doubt. So by way of application, I want to mention a couple of other things. For the psalmist, it is seeing the wicked prosper or it is seeing them get wealthy and, and the confusion that all goes with that for, for him. But w- what about some other things in our own lives? Uh, well, let me ask you this. What, Again, what are those things that we tend to value above the pleasure of resting in, in our relationship with Him? Well, to consider your own lives, uh, let me just mention a couple things. Uh, what about your health? Have you, have you ever lost just your peace because you were elevating about the kind of body that you want to have before God? Uh, what, what about your retirement? 
I'm not, I mean, I'm just not where I want to be, and it's, it's frustrating. And I, 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 in fact, I'm going to retire in another 10 years, and in 10 years, I don't even think where I'll get what I'd be. And we fret and we wrestle over, over those kind of things. What about our marriage? It's just not the kind of marriage I want. Or we're frustrated with our spouse. What about the spiritual maturity of our spouse? Have you ever sacrificed the peace of God? (laughs) Because you feel like you have the right to have somebody more spiritual than perhaps who your spouse is. Have you ever thought about the fact that they're thinking the same thing about you? (laughs) Yeah, possibly so. (laughs) What about... Our children's decisions. Uh, have you ever fretted over that and lost your peace because they made a, a poor decision? Um, here's here's one. What what about just your ease of life? I just I just want an easier life. Life is so difficult. <laughs> life is so complicated sometimes. Why can't things just be? Why can't things just be easier than what they are now? Have you ever forfeited peace just because I want, I want an easier life? Well, here, here's one. Uh, what about your church? Uh, there's, there's no perfect church, is there? No. We're all just doing our best to move forward for the glory of God. Have you ever lost the blessing of your refuge because you were frustrated with somebody else here in the room or because you thought things needed to be different or whatever the case may be? Have, have, you, have you sacrificed that before? Have you elevated that above the pleasure of just his presence? Perhaps, I bet somebody here has. Um, folks, if you and I want to grow... God will always bring you to the place where you and I have got to admit we are a brutish beast before him. If you want to grow in Christ, he is always going to bring you to that place where you and I need to confess and admit that I am so thick-headed sometimes in what I elevate above and what I elevate above God. Every one of us, folks, there's, there, there's not enough years in a human life for us to exhaust every area that we get it all set and nailed down before we actually pass on. For the rest of our days, this is, this is you and I. I. I think the challenge that we have is what we actually see in the psalmist is just to confess it. Just admit it. I got frustrations with what I see out there. <laughs> and I, I don't like it. And it's, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. And to realize and recognize what he does until I come before God, until I enter the sanctuary of God. And here's the pleasure that you and I have. It's not a geographical location. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, isn't he here? Isn't he here always with you, inside of you? And you can stop at any moment. You can be driving and sitting at a red light and make the turn, just like the psalmist did. (laughs) What What a pleasure. What a pleasure for you and I. And this weakness that you actually see in the psalmist, folks, I hope you understand that there is no, there is no more steady and strong position for a believer than to be in that place. 
That's what Paul says. In your weakness, then, then you're strong. And that's when you and I can enjoy him as our refuge no matter what. Folks, you and I will continue to go through this interesting scenario that we see in Psalm 73. There'll be something that's going to bug us, that we're not going to like, that we're quite tempted to elevate above the peace that comes through him. Maybe perhaps we can recall how honest the psalmist was about what he was feeling and consider ourselves as we go through those things. Let's have our musicians come up and let's all stand as we close.